for whatever reason, I'm really good at building a team, right? And ultimately to do what we want to do, we have to have a really good team. And although we are only at three locations and just getting into the franchising world now, I look at, you know, the people that I have around me and that's what gives me the confidence that, you know, eventually we'll be in the discussion with the crumbles. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today on the show is Adam August of Blueprint Cookies. Blueprint is a new cookie franchise that gained popularity quickly in Florida and has won the award for best chocolate chip cookie in the state. Not only that, they have an incredibly scalable concept that only requires a few employees per location. They're also taking a unique approach to their organization, and their goal is to revolutionize how quick service brands treat their employees and their franchisees. Adam's a great guy, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. So... Before we get into Blueprint, I'm curious to learn how you even started it, because I know your background is, is primarily, right, like kind of like tech sales. So yeah, how do you go from tech sales to being like, you know what, I'm going to quit that job and start a cookie franchise? Yeah, so tech sales, I, but I also sold season tickets for the Miami Dolphins. I ran a bobby pin manufacturing company in Appleton, Wisconsin. I ran gym operations, so all over the place, and kind of what, looking back on my career, what I take away from all those experiences is that I'm really good at figuring shit out. And ultimately, that's what starting a business is. Yeah. There is no pun intended blueprint on how to build a business. You kind of just have to learn and adapt and grow and implement those learnings. And I realized that I was really good at that. So I got to a point in my life where I was just, I guess, ready. Right. I had the self-belief and the confidence that I could do this. I saw that insomnia sold for, I think it was like half a billion dollars. And I figured I love eating cookies. It's a business <laughs> that scales. I could sell it in the end. You know, I'll figure out how to get from here to there. Yeah. And that was kind of the start of the journey. Super cool. I didn't realize that about insomnia either. That's awesome. You might have to fact check me on the number, but it was like cr- some crazy number. Yeah, I'm sure it was a big number. It seems reasonable, to be honest. All right. Well, so... I guess before we, we kind of dive into the origin story like a little more, I've just got a curiosity. What's been your favorite business that you've run so far? And it sounds like you've run the gamut on a bunch of different businesses. I'm loving what I'm doing now with Blueprint. It's awesome. I also am a founder in a real estate development company. That's also really exciting. And I'm my four partners are my four best friends. So that's been you know really special to be building a company along your, with your best friends. But I just, I love building cultures. I love empowering people. I love seeing people grow. So, I mean, I guess to answer your question, what has been my favorite business? I would have to say Blueprint. <laughs> okay. Good answer for the press there. So when did you found Blueprint? And can you kind of tell me a bit, a little bit about like, 
yeah, just the, let's say, go to market slash early days, you know, when it first opened. Because obviously with COVID, I got to imagine there, there's been some tough moments and crazy moments. Yeah. So the decision to start a cookie company was made, I want to say, the end of November of 2018. Pretty quick text with myself and Nick um, Hicks, who was uh, my co-founder, also one of my closest friends. When he said he was in, the next day, we're calling spaces in Fort Lauderdale. Again, I have no idea where to start. I didn't start with a business plan. Not a big fan of those. So we just figured, okay, we got to find a space. And kind of the rest will unravel and kind of show itself as we take steps forward. Um, So we started looking at spaces, developing the brand a little bit, came up with the name Batch, which was our original name. We've since gone through a rebrand. And then come probably about February 2019, you know, Nick and I look at each other. We're probably at this point, maybe 15 grand in. We found a space looking at signing a lease. And we're like, okay, it's probably a good time to figure out what are we going to do with the cookies, right? Because him and I don't bake. <laughs> so that was never going to be part of the, you know, the equation. And, you know, we like first met with one of his friend's moms, right? And she like made some cookies and like we realized, okay, that's probably not going to work. And at that point, I went on LinkedIn, kind of created a prospect list of pastry chefs in the area, put together a, a simple message about, hey, starting this business, you know, looking for a partner to give equity to, don't necessarily have to invest any money. Are you interested? And out of the 15 that I sent, we got one response, and that was Chef Max Santiago, which now, upon reflection, was probably if you lined up everyone in front of me and said, pick one, he would be the guy that I would pick. So that really, you know, allowed the cookies to really come to life and all the credit to him for the product that we have. Then I think maybe, uh, you know, we did the development, then into construction, self-managed myself, no construction experience. So that was incredible. Literally sitting on the job site every single day at a beach chair, watching them work. <laughs> like that was me for three months. Nice. Calling my own inspections. And then August 31st of 2019, we had our soft opening. I had no idea what to expect. I just always believed it would work out you know, come to find out you open up the door and we had a line down the block, Holy crap! which was incredible. And the only reason why is because of Max, right? Max is very well known down here. He was the founding pastry chef of Salty Donut, which is a very popular donut concept in Miami. And, you know, it was his name and the notion that Max is opening up a cookie shop. That's what drove people. And I think propelled us early on. Yeah, that's fascinating to go from idea in like October, November 2018 to literally doors open in by August 2019. That's no joke. That's how we do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's like walk through just kind of your, some people might hear that and think this guy's crazy. Like, and obviously it's working though. Like you've pulled it off, you're open, you're operating, now you're franchising. So clearly things are going well enough. But like, what are the kinds of things that you're doing, especially not, you're not a chef, as you said, like, have you even operated a brick and mortar business? Uh, like, do you just have this belief that even if you haven't done something, you're just going to figure it out? Because like, how do you go from not even being remotely in the cookie business to just opening it and having a line down the street within like, whatever that is, eight, nine months? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it starts with a belief in myself, but it's not just a belief in myself that I can do it. I have like my superpower, if you will is that for however I'm able to do it, I'm able to attract the right people at the right time. So I have surrounded myself with incredibly talented, bright, experienced, driven people that obviously see something in me and I see something in them and I've built a team, right? So I have, and I've 
acquired partners, business partners through this process. You know, it started obviously with Nick, right? Then we added Max because we need someone to do the cookies. I met a gentleman named Mike McGowan along the way. He's now our COO and an equity partner. Along with him came Paloma, who is our CMO and chief branding officer. She's an equity partner, right? And most recently with the whole franchising piece, we brought on Joe, right? Who I know you know very well. It's a belief in myself, but also for, again, for whatever reason, I'm really good at building a team. Right. And ultimately, to do what we want to do, we have to have a really good team. And although we are only at three locations and just getting into the franchising world now, I look at, you know, the people that I have around me. And that's what gives me the confidence that, you know, eventually we'll be in the discussion with the crumbles of the world. Well, all right. So, so you launch lines at the door. Did you like were you working in the store every day? Is the chef? Max? Yeah, Chef Max. Is he in the store too? Or is he just giving you guys the recipes? And he's like, hey, guys, like, I'm not cooking. Like, you, you have to cook them. But like, I'll give you the amazing recipe for like quality cookies. So every day in the beginning, Max was in there. Okay. It, nothing happened without Max because th- we didn't have processes. There was no systems. There was no how many doughs are we making? How much does each dough yield? What equipment to use to cook these things, right? It, you know, he gave us guidance on that. So like we had the mixer in the oven and that's the great thing about the cookie business. It's like from an equipment standpoint, it's pretty simple. Okay. But yeah, there was no systems, no processes. Everyone was just kind of figuring it out. And I was relying on Max you know, for the operational piece, I learned that's not his strength, so to speak, but that's just kind of where we were at the time, right? You know, we truly were a, literally a startup. So you just, you figure it out. And I was probably in the store five, six, seven days a week for about a year and a half. And over that time, you, we get better, right? You start to build systems. You put out version 1.0 of how we, you know, mix in the morning and what's that process. And then we learn from that and then put out 2.0. And then we start having training documents and inventory management, right? Like all these things evolve over time, but we didn't have any of that in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It was just figured out. Well, so how long was it before you went from location number one to location number two? And are they all in Florida or are they? Yeah. So all three of our locations, we have one in Fort Lauderdale, downtown Fort Lauderdale. Plantation was our store number two. And then Boca was store number three. Plantation, we opened in July of 2021. And then we opened Boca of August of 2022. And we just kind of, we took the net operating profits from one and rolled that into two. And then we took the net operating profits from one to two, rolled that into three. Always had a long-term vision. This isn't about putting money in my pocket. Like this is about, you know, building something big. Sick. I mean, everything's, it varies by geography for the most part. But on the real estate side, do you have to require loans? Or are you able to do this all in all cash for where you guys are based? All cash. Um, we don't have any loans, although I will be looking at, you know, going that strategy for future corporate growth, um, because I think at this point, there's no need to continue to put our own money in. Yeah. Like we have a proven concept. But yeah, a combination of, of cash. And then also with every entity, we get a credit card and we do it with Chase. So there's 0% interest. So we max that credit card out, basically borrow the money for a year yep. and then pay that off. So like we've definitely found ways to stretch our, our budget, if you will. So I'm going to guess based off your kind of just like fire from the hip mentality, that maybe you weren't. Is that what it sounds like? Is that how it cut off? <laughs> well, I mean, it's good. You're action oriented. You know, a lot of people just think about things forever and then they don't actually do anything with it. But you clearly get shit done. But I'm going to guess that you didn't necessarily know about like crumble cookies and this whole ecosystem of big franchises that are doing cookie stuff. So 
When did that idea cross your mind? Like, hey, let's franchise this. And did that change the calculus of Blueprint at all? From day one, it was always about scaling and getting to, you know, 100, 200 locations and, you know, selling for nine figures was what I always put out, right? I dream big, right? I think you have to. Why not? Exactly. Why not? Right. So it was always that, but I never knew how we would get there. Right. I knew that it was important that we built our, you know, built the system and did things the right way. So I have a philosophy of go slow to go fast. Right. So it was really opening up one store, learning that, okay, now let's open up a second, right? build the right team, the, the infrastructure, our systems, open up a third. We really wanted to prove the concept before really trying to blow it up. And through that process, it was, you know, I've gone back and forth 50 times in my head about, do we franchise? Do we go corporate? Do we franchise? Do I raise money? Do I like so? And ultimately, I, you start to see the ecosystem, at, you know, your word of, crumble and dirty dough. Like there's so many concepts that it's, you know, speed is now like we have to get to market quicker. Yeah. Right. Than maybe what I originally thought three years ago. So I think that observation is really what made me lean more into, Hey, we really need to go the franchising route because it's just speed to market at this point. Yeah, definitely. There does seem to be a lot of cookie concepts just I think it's interesting for you because you you had this idea. And I mean, you weren't too far behind Rumble, to be honest. I mean, they opened up, I think, July 2017. That sounds right. So you were only two years after them. And like, I would say, bef- you know, it's, when you're thinking in October 2018 about launching a cookie business, I mean, that's well before Crumble's on the radar. Like these other brands, like a Dirty Dough that's popping up. And I know uh, there's this other one, Chip City, that... Danny Meyer from Union Square Ventures. Just, yeah, out, of, out of New York. Yeah, exactly. Like So like now they're like, like, whoa, what's happening? From a market perspective, like just a total addressable market. And I asked this just because I have supported Crumble to a degree on Twitter, primarily just because, and you know, we had the founder on the podcast or the co-founder on the podcast. Yep. But you know, a lot of people say, oh, like this cookie craze, it's too much. It's going to be like Froyo and cupcakes and my only pushback has really been like, yeah, I get it. It's like a lot of spaces jumping in, like anyone could, or a lot of uh, companies jumping into the space. But at least with Crumble, like the unit economics of them are like far beyond what like a, any Froyo franchise was ever putting up. I, I just want to get your sense of like, how do you view the cookie landscape? Are you worried that it's like, that there's just, it's going to be too crowded and the volume of other competitors and how that can impact your concept? I'm definitely not worried. I'm aware. Yeah. But we're very focused on what we're doing, and I know what we're building. We have an amazing product. We have a superstar team. Our approach to you know team first, and you know how we support our team members. You know the the amount that we're paying, right? Like the culture that we're building. I think that really differentiates us. Um, and as franchisees do their analysis, right? Like that's going to be something that I think they learn. And like I said, differentiates us from the other cookie companies out there. I do think that there is going to be a similar wave in, you know, from like the cupcake 10 years ago and what happened there and that there are a lot of concepts, but the cream of the crop is going to rise. I think when it's all said and done, there's going to be three, four, five players, all of different sizes, some national, some maybe just regional, but I'm not worried about you know, there has to just be one, right? And you could see that across pretty much any food uh, industry that there's multiple players. Yeah. So, and for me, I mean, again, I look at Crumble and 
I get excited because they're validating the market. They do a lot of amazing things that I think inspire other businesses. So if anything, I, again, I look at them and I say, okay, how can we, again, take from that, but keep it in the blueprint model. Um, so that's been pretty successful so far. Definitely. Now, it's not a winner-take-all market. Like, very rare for that to ever take place. I can't even imagine. There's That's like a common reason that I've heard, you know, especially when I was in my franchise development days for people maybe using it as a reason to not buy a concept. It's like, oh, there's already a competitor that exists that's doing something similar. I mean, like, think about, I, obviously, burgers, especially in America, I mean, massive market. So, like, market yes. sizes matter. I'm not saying they don't matter, but, I mean, Yes. Wendy's, Five Guys, Burger King, McDonald's, uh, Culver's, Shake, Shake Shack, Shack Whataburger. Like, I mean, we're I mean, we're not even close to being finished, man. Yeah, yeah. So, like, imagine how many people who passed on like Burger King or Wendy's just because like, oh, McDonald's already exists, and like, forget the rest of the ones we just named. So, yeah, that's totally right. And yeah, I think over time, like what you said, I mean, there'll be an oversaturation most likely, but the the legit concepts and, and the legit operators will rise to the top. And, and I think that's really important, right, is the operators. Yeah. And, you know, who is in this just to try to make a quick buck and who is in this to try to really build a company? And, you know, going back to with when we rebranded and settled on the name Blueprint, for us, we really want to create a blueprint for how companies treat their employees. That's really what the name Blueprint is. Right? It's also why we went with a name that doesn't necessarily tie directly into cookies is because we see ourselves as much more than a cookie company. So like my vision in five years from now is like other food concepts and outside of food, but other food concepts looking at us and seeing, you know, again, our employee benefits and how we pay and the culture that we've created and being inspired by that, right? And not being inspired by like our cookie flavors, right? Which which are made by a world-renowned chef, it sounds like, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, now, now they're made by, you know, we have an amazing team in all of our stores that, that produces Max is not, you know, now Max is much more just, uh, you know, high level recipes. But yeah, so that's, uh, you know, talking of tie in blueprint and what that all means and really what our vision is for our business. Yeah, well, you want to share? Uh, I'm curious to learn more about that. Like, how are you envisioning or, or and already doing at your corporate stores, like things differently than maybe the rest of the quick service food industry? Yeah, I think that's that's a good starting point. Yeah, so I think it first starts by, you know, pay, right? I hear people all the time, you know, mentioning or talking about, you know, how difficult it is to find good employees, right, and people that care. And then the first question I always ask is, well, how much are you paying them, right? And they often will say eight, 10, you know, 12 bucks. And I just feel like if you want someone to care about what they're doing, right, the pay needs to show that. Ultimately, compensation, in my opinion, is a company's way of showing appreciation for its team members. And I think there's too many companies out there that are missing the boat on that. So on average, our employees with tips make $21 an hour, which has allowed us to really get quality people who care about the company, who care about our philosophy on hospitality first, and it kind of starts there, right? So if the company is showing appreciation and care and love for the team members, then that feeling just naturally kind of rolls into the guest experience. And this is, you know, you mentioned Danny Meyer earlier. He's a huge inspiration of ours for how we look at hospitality. Every single one of our team members, when they start, they're given the book Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. 
they're asked to read it over a 45 day period. In doing so, they get a $100 bonus for reading the book and they get a dollar raise. They also have to answer some questions just to show that you know they retained the information that we wanted them to retain. And then I meet with every single one of our employees and I have a one-on-one conversation with them for an hour talking about the book, but also getting to know them. Um, and I think that, you know, what I have learned from those conversations and at this point, you know, now being open for three years, it's probably close to 75 to 100 conversations is so many people are coming into our business with negative past work experiences. Yeah. Right. And just working for companies that really don't care about them. And, you know, that's really where we're setting out to be different. And whether someone's with us for six months, a year or, you know, all the way, I want to create an environment that shows our team members that whether you work here or you go somewhere else, there are companies out there that that do care and that treat you well. And that needs to be an expectation that you hold the company accountable for. So, I mean, that's just one of the areas. We're also very big on a lot of our team members have uh, side businesses. So really big on supporting them and coaching them and trying to give them new skills. So we do AMAs, Ask Me Anythings, with multiple you know, our executive leadership. So we had an AMA a few weeks ago with Paloma. So any of our team members can come on and ask her about marketing ideas or strategies that they can apply to their own business. Ah. So we're really big about, again, trying to empower our team members to, you know, have their own thing that they can grow. We've already experienced this with, I think, maybe two of our team members where they left us to go pursue their own entrepreneurial dreams, which to me is like, I mean, that is everything. Yeah. I got to imagine, especially in the industry you're in, for someone to, you know, get hired and you give them a book and say, hey, I'm going to give you a raise and a bonus if you read it and like retain it. I mean, that is probably I'm sure people are like, wait, you're doing what? Like, you want me to like, you yeah. actually care if I like because I got to just imagine it's like, oh, here's your apron or whatever. And like, get to work. Like, <laughs> Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Whereas you're actually just showing on day one that you know, you are trying to invest in them and teach them. So that's super cool to hear. And yeah, I, I honestly, when you first mentioned the thing about uh, like helping your employees with side businesses, like part of me is like, that's amazing. But then I'm also putting on like the business owner hat and I'm like, wait, like I don't want a lack of focus. Like as much as like you want, right? Like I want everyone to fulfill their potential, right? And do what they're capable of. But then there's the business owner hat where it's like, oh, but like, I can't have them like focusing on that while they're working for me. Like it just like it's got to be outside. But by the time you finish, I'm like, you know what? This is like pretty awesome, and it's probably counterintuitive maybe to some. But like I got to admit, like one, like your retention's probably great because people awesome. love working for you, and that a lot of things a lot. And the, I get this from my past experiences. You know, was employers pretend like their employees sometimes don't have a life outside of their work, which is like just acknowledge it. It's a reality. And rather than try to prevent them from like accessing that other part of their life, you might as well just embrace it and help them with it, which it sounds like you're doing. So um, absolutely. Yeah. And that, I mean, what that does is it creates happier people. Yeah. Not just employees, but people, right? If you're able to balance work, but then also you have the time and the space and the support to do the things that you care about outside of work and the employer takes interest in those things right? Like that person is going to feel happier. I would actually say they're more focused yeah. at work because, you know, they're 60 hours a week, right? Like just kind of, you know, working, working, working. And like, we have seen that this isn't like kind of in theory, this is in practice, 
right? And that's, we also kind of structure our shifts so that really we don't really have team members that are working more than 20 to 25 hours. Our general managers who run the stores are only asked to work in the store only 30 hours a week, right? You go to any other restaurant concept and ask a general manager, how often are they working? They're probably going to tell you at least 40 hours, more like 50 to 60. Yeah. Well, for one, like you have happier employees, they're going to do better work when they're in there versus the unhappy employees who are just resentful and looking for a way out or just like surviving versus thriving. So I got to imagine just a better culture, more productive ecosystem of employees, but also like the two that you said that left to go on full time to start their own thing. I mean, if anything, like it's a great like marketing for, and again, I know you're not doing it for that, but it is good. It's actually good marketing for you to be like, like you can probably, I'm sure those employees would have no problem with you promoting them on your website. And like, that's a sell. If I'm a young employee looking like, and I need a job, it's like, oh, this company is like, they're paying above average and like they've helped other employees start their own business like that. Like I'm going to that place versus Auntie Anne's or whoever else is hiring. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that as, I mean, I don't think I know that as we grow, and we get better at telling our story outside of just that we have delicious cookies. Yeah. That, like this becomes, you know, our part of our story and part of our recruiting tactics. Fascinating. And you guys do, though, just just for the record, part of the reason you came across my radar is because you guys won some like state of Florida award for best cookies in Florida. Is that correct? Yeah. Tasty table, tasting table, tasty table. One of their editors did a whole chocolate chip cookie analysis of every cookie in the country. And we won uh, best chocolate chip cookie for the state of Florida, which is funny because when I first met Max, a pastry chef is an artist, right? And an artist like to be creative and out there. And Max is, you know, going a million miles a minute about all these different flavors. And I stopped him and said, Max, I don't care about any of that. I just want the best chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> and fast forward three years later, you know, we end up winning best chocolate chip cookie in Florida, which is awesome. And although I am biased, I really do believe that we do have the best <laughs> chocolate chip cookie in Florida. I would know I've probably at this point, I've had definitely over 200 chocolate chip cookies. So it's my go-to flavor. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you're saying this. I'm thinking I should pivot my newsletter to just review food on franchises. That's a great excuse to, to just eat everything you want. Yeah, and you, I'm sure you will never have to pay. And yeah, you go. <laughs> true. All right, maybe a new segment coming in 2023. There you go. Um, all the time that you got. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about, like, you, are you applying anything different to the franchisee or franchisor relationship maybe in the same way that you've also like clearly rethought, not to be cliche, but the blueprint for like employer to employee relationship? So what I've been telling our early franchisees, and I'm you know excited to share that we already have two, um, each committing to 10 locations, one bought all of Palm Beach County, one bought all of Miami-Dade County. So that's, you know, huge to kind of you know, start with that. What I'm telling them and other people that we're speaking to is the same philosophy that we're taking with our team members. It's the same philosophy we're going to have with our franchisees. I can't see a world in which we treat you know, our people, our employees, our team members one way, and then we take a completely different approach to how we treat franchisees, right? So I don't know in terms of like what creative, you know, approaches we take because we're still so we're still so new to this, but I'm very, you know, hands-on right now, you know, especially with our first franchisees, I'm operating as if these are corporate stores. Yeah. 
So I am involved with every aspect, you know, driving down to go look at locations and on every call. So I don't know if that's any different than how other franchise systems operate. I know that as we scale, I can't obviously maintain that, but I think that as franchising grows, we'll find ways that we differentiate ourselves and how we work with our franchisees than other franchise systems. Well, I think um, at a minimum, I mean, not every franchise will do uh, multi-unit packages like that. Some limit because it's a quicker way for them, right? If I only sell you three franchises and then I could sell the guy, you know, uh, across town or maybe in the next county, another three pack. And then like from a system perspective, you'll get to six locations quicker than selling one person, theoretically, you know, six or 10 or whatever. And then that's quicker royalty stream and all that stuff. But I think the problems start to develop over time, usually where you get 10, 20, 30 franchisees in the system with, you know, maybe 100 or 200 plus locations. And then uh, as that system just grows, it seems like they find more ways to extract value out of the franchisee base. Um, like, you know, the classic example that I think of is always Quiznos, who, I mean, just was selling so many locations and then increased their royalty rate. And then they'd offer ridiculous promotions to customers. So, like, sales were going up, but the margins that franchisees were making were negative. And then on top of that, Quiznos was supplying and they mandated franchisees um, would have to buy, you know, all the napkins, all the dough for the bread, all the sauces from Quiznos affiliate supplier company. So like Quiznos was making more money from just selling napkins and that type of stuff than uh, even off their royalties. And yeah, so that seems to be when the problems come in. Which really all you're describing is greed. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I would do you know, to the people that listen you know, to your podcast. And I know that's growing a lot every month who are looking at possibly buying a franchise. You know, that's really where you need to be comfortable with the operator. Right. And the CEO of the company. And, you know, that's one, like, I'm proud of myself that I don't have that mindset. I'm not looking to squeeze the juice of our franchisees, right? Like I know in order for us to be successful, our franchisees have to be successful, right? Period. End of story. And if that means that a franchisee is having a few months stretch and we need to reduce royalties so that it's working for them, like that's something that we're going to do. As these situations come up, we will handle it. But I just, I know that that's how I've operated from day one. So why would I change as the business grows? Yeah. Right. And I often find that, you know, sometimes people will say, well, when we get to this point, then we'll start doing this. I just, I don't agree with that philosophy, right? Do something the right way from the beginning, because that's how you really create culture, right? By doing things from the beginning and building it that way. So, and that goes, you know, again, in lines with how we'll handle tough situations with our franchisees. You know, it's going to be people first. I love that. I'm pumped to watch the system grow because I'm sure you'll come up with some cool new ideas for ways you can work with franchisees better than maybe what the industry standard is. Well, and I would love your insight as well, because who knows more about <laughs> franchising than you do. So thank you, man. Yeah. You know, as you hear ideas, please, you know, shoot them my way. I, I would be happy to try some things out. Uh, well, actually, I mean, this goes, I guess, if there's any franchisors out there listening to. My most recent episode is with Jamie Weeks, who is a big Orange Theory franchisee, but he also founded his own franchise. And I just had him back on the show for the second time, this time from the perspective of him being founder and CEO of, it's called Sweat House, like a wellness franchise. 
Yes. Um, yes. Pretty cool brand. But um, he goes into a lot of how he's like structuring his agreements with franchisees because like he was a multi-unit, you know, or still is for the most part, like a hundred plus units of Orange Theory. Um, and he's basically with Sweathouse fixing what he views as all the common complaints that franchisees have with their franchisor. So definitely a good one to listen to. Moving from that to like blueprint as just a concept, I think would be a good place to kind of wrap up here. Like, is there a typical, you know, and I know there's some limits to what you can say from like the investment perspective, of course, because of uh, just the FTC law with franchises, but as a concept, like, can you kind of give like just the, uh, how it works, you know, for an operator when they like, where is the ideal location to open? Is it a massive square footprint needed? Um, you know, how many employees per location, like that kind of thing. And, and maybe even how that differentiates from say a crumble, if you know that. So the way that we have built our system and the way that we present it to franchisees, which is also why we have commitments of 10 locations, is because we have built a very easy to operate, scalable, lower labor business model. So our stores typically right now are averaging about $600,000 in revenue a year. We're definitely looking for that to grow over 2023, as we start to turn on digital advertising, which we've done none of, um, really get out in the community and focus on catering, you know, all things that we've kind of just bootstrapped. But what that has allowed us to do is we run our stores primarily with one person most of the time, about 60% of the time, we got one person running the store. The rest of the time, maybe we'll have two. On the rare occasions, we'll have three people. And that really speaks to kind of the system and operations that, that my COO, Mike McGowan, has built. We're very, very system process oriented, right? That is a, you know, definitely where we hang our hat at the end of the night. And what that allows franchisees to do is scale the concept, right? And be able to have 10 stores and not be relegated to, have to having to run one. So it all comes down to systems and good people. From an ideal location standpoint, we're still very much learning what that is. I would have question marks if someone is coming on here who has three locations saying that they have it all figured out because that's just not true. So we're still very much learning what good locations look like. Our first location in Fort Lauderdale looks very different than our third location in Boca, yet they do similar sales. So, you know, those are inputs that we're taking in and still figuring out where's the ideal place for us. We have a great real estate team that, that we work with that is also helping us figure that out. From a, you know, build out perspective, it's very simple, straightforward. We're looking at ideally 800, 900 square feet. The equipment is pretty straightforward, you know, all in. We try to keep the investment below $250,000. Obviously with construction, right? There's variables, yeah, right? You don't know what the space is, but you know, that's kind of our target range. And, you know, ideally we're, we're looking to, you know, have that ROI in that 18 month to 36 month range. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Um, did I break any laws? I hope hope I didn't. Uh, no, I mean, you covered yourself as variables. And obviously, folks, Adam would say, just read the FDD. That is where the ultimate. Yes, read the FDD. But I'm, I'm a very transparent person. So it's hard for me to ever say, oh, sorry, I can't answer that when I'm asked a question just because I'm, I'm honest and transparent. But re read our FDD and you know, yeah, unfortunately, the uh, the sometimes that law, like the law was put in place so that people weren't getting ripped off, but then it ends up handicapping you because like some people are afraid to answer things. So yes. yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. That was me on sales calls. I'd be like, hey, sorry, I really want to tell you, but like I'm technically not allowed to. Like you have to look at it. Yeah. And it, fe it just feels wrong. 
feels wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when someone's like looking to, you know, invest, you know, and some people, their life savings in you, right? And you're telling them that I can't tell you like that just like you said, it feels wrong. Yeah. Ultimately, as the system grows, you have actual like franchisees, they can say anything, which is good. Um, and it sounds like you have two, two big ones that came in. That's fascinating, though, especially on the labor piece. I mean, that's pretty incredible. It, um, you're able to get to that average unit volume so far of about 600k off of you know predominantly one person to store at all times like i was gonna guess it's usually at least two to three minimum for most like quick service dessert whatever you want to call it like those that category of franchises and it's a much lower investment it sounds like than uh, a crumble which is pushing like close to 700k i think at the high end of their investment you know, I know people become infatuated. And again, I cannot say enough positive things about Crumble. And so you look at their numbers and 1.5, 2 million, but you get infatuated with those numbers. But if your store is doing $1.5 million, the stress that that puts on the operator, yeah, it's a lot from, you know, at, at Crumble store. And I listened to your episode with Jason and I just, I know them, I, I follow them well. Um, you know, they could have 40 team members per location. Right. And an operator has to manage 40 personalities and scheduling and conflict. And we've made a conscious decision to kind of scale that back. Right. Where we're not looking just to drive, like, you know, drive revenue, drive revenue. I think there's a balance with, you know, driving revenue and net profitability, but also keeping the operator in mind. And, and, and again, we're looking more for investors that this becomes, you know, one of the streams of revenue that they have. Right. That they're not working in the store. So again, it's a little bit of a different approach. And I understand that that's, it's not for everyone, but nothing is for everyone or not one thing is for everyone. It's a super attractive model. And like to be able to build out, I mean, if you had 10 locations, theoretically, you can maybe have like 20 employees on staff and rotate them, like depending on what store is the hot one of the day. I, I don't know. I'm making stuff up in my head, but like, yeah, you probably wouldn't want to do that, but no. yeah, I mean, 10 locations are going to, you know, it's going to be spread over a big you know, geographic area, right? If you have a five, so yeah, but, but again, 10 locations for a blueprint, you know, maybe you have, let's call it 80 team members, right? 10 locations for crumble, you're at 400 team members. Yeah. Right. So five X. And again, it's not one is not better than the other, but there are different strokes for different folks, right? Whatever you're look, you know, there's, this is for a different type of investor than a crumble. In my opinion, completely agree. So that's a really important thing to think about for folks, right? Is uh, yeah, like big numbers are fun, but it does come at a cost, so to speak. Of you got to support those numbers, which for the owner slash operator, you're, you're dead right. I mean, they're the ones who have to hire, manage the employee schedules, figure out the systems to support that madness. And yeah, so like some people might be definitely more attracted to you know a couple employees per location, and you're still making a healthy margin, and it comes with a much less headache. And that's, I mean, really at the end of the day, if we can consistently show as we scale that our ROI is around that 24 month mark, right? You're making your money back in 24 months and your straight profit after that. Like what, from an investor, really, what more could you want? Yeah, no, I mean, I just, if people are like not buying that, I mean, for the last 16 months, I've basically been researching FDDs for a living and writing about it in my newsletter. And um, if you can make the, the top franchises are showing the potential to earn your investment back within three years. Like if, if you beat that cutoff at three years, you're doing great. You're above average. Yes. So yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that brick and mortar businesses just, it costs an investment and usually takes time to earn it back. And 
three years is actually pretty quick. And there are some doing less than that. And that's also fantastic. But yeah, so I think your head's in the right spot. And uh, yeah, man, I'm super pumped to watch you grow. Yeah, likewise, man. Again, I appreciate, you know, the, your, you, you've given me a lot of insight off camera. So it's it been cool to see what you're doing in this space, right? Because as franchising, which I think is historically kind of been run by older people, hopefully I don't get, offend anyone in saying that, right? I think like there's this, it's definitely a, a wave that's coming and, you know, people like yourself are thought leaders in the space. So I appreciate just, you know, you being on your show and getting to chat with you and build a relationship with you. Definitely, man. Yeah. Likewise, completely. Well, wrapping up here, uh, you know, is there anywhere online where people can follow along your journey or the brand's journey um, and just see what's going on? Yeah, we're on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok at Blueprint Cookie. And then our website is uh, blueprintcookie.com. So you can check out, you know, all the updates, always coming out with new flavors. We have an incredible Instagram run by Paloma and Gabby. Shout out to them. They do an incredible job. Um, so they yeah, definitely uh, keep tabs on us over there. And uh, I apologize in advance for any uh, drooling that happens <laughs> while looking at our social media. All right. You've, you've all been warned. We'll, uh, you've all been warned. We'll, we'll plug those, those handles in the show notes, though, folks. So you can check them out. Uh, Adam, thanks again, man. It was a lot, a lot of fun talking to you. And uh, we'll be in touch soon. Uh, Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. 